Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super honored and excited today to have my guest, Kathy Garner, also known as The Relationship Artist. Kathy is a visionary artist and coach to leaders, individuals, and couples in the science of relationships helping them transform the way they relate to others. As a relationship expert coach, TEDx speaker, and creator of Vision Portraits, she helps people create clarity and teach evidence-based relationship skills that enable them to achieve their goals and visions. Kathy talks about how to transform the relationships we have with ourselves and others by seeing ourselves as creators rather than victims of fate teaching evidence-based skills that inspire people to reflect on the visions, dreams, and purpose they have for their lives. Welcome, Kathy Garner. Thank you so much. What an introduction. (laughs) Isn't it strange to hear all those things about you? Yeah, it always is. It's always a surprise. Oh, who's that? She sounds ever so interesting. (laughs) Well, this show is also very interesting, and I'm really honored to be invited mainly because of your brilliant name. Yeah. So um, waking up to real love, that's exciting. Yeah, this is what I hope, I mean, this is what I had to do in my own journey. And so this is why I'm trying to help others do the same thing. I think we've come across our missions in a very similar way. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, my mission too is very much about leaving behind the old patterns and the old beliefs about love Uh and waking up real love is yeah because we seem to we seem to have adopted such a strong idea about what love should be mm-hmm. that really isn't grounded in anything but fairy tales uh-huh and why i mean i would say why do you think we believe in fairy tales i.e disney pixar <laughs> well there's power in a good story right a huge amount of power in a good story. And actually, the stories that we tell ourselves yes. really shape our lives. And if we've been brought up, before we could even distinguish between wise and unwise, good and bad or anything, all of those fairy stories were just seeping into our unconscious and this is how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you grow up like that, what happens next? Mm-hmm. You develop your own stories. Mm-hmm. with that theme don't you that mm-hmm. theme runs beneath your own stories and you interpret the world through those lenses so you really have to change the lens if you want to be able to have an opportunity to love well mm-hmm. well didn't didn't you say in one of your um, interviews that that your parents had a pretty loving relationship a wonderful relationship yeah really lovely really lovely I mean and my so mom- you you grew up with the fairy tale well, I know I wouldn't call it a fairy tale, actually. My parents' relationship was lovely, but there was nothing fluffy or romantic about it. Uh-huh. What was it like? Solid. Like, it was like that. Sorry, you can't hear that, can you? That's me drawing a very flat line. <laughs> no particular highs and no particular lows. It was consistent and stable Uh and steady and everyone was very nice to each other all the time. And I knew when I grew up, I did not want to have a relationship like that. 
Do you think that there, I mean, to, to me, that flat line is there, there's not a lot of joy and then there's not a lot of like suffering either. It's just sort of more neutral. Well, do you know, there's a funny thing about joy. I, I have a definition, three definitions that, that sometimes get confused with joy. Okay. So I will talk about pleasure, happiness, and joy. Okay. Three very different things. Okay. So joy, I think, can be just the basic state that we live in. Um, and Eckhart Tolle describes this beautifully. It's like a lit room. If you have joy in your life, your room is lit. Uh-huh. There are no particular highs or lows. Joy is just a state. Now, happiness is what gives you the highs and the lows. Or pleasure, that gives you real spikes of dopamine. <laughs> but the joy can just happily exist in a very calm way. Huh. And so I think they had a lot of joy uh-huh. in their marriage. Uh-huh. They had very few moments of particular depths of sadness uh-huh. although they dealt with a lot they struggled through a lot they were flooded many times they lost everything to floods and they once lost everything to a fire oh my gosh and they calmly they calmly went through all of it I say they lost everything they lost everything from their past They'd, they had everything in storage and um, when they were renovating and building a new house so uh-huh. all of that stuff from their old, old homes um was lost all of their childhood things all of their all of their memories growing up wow including their old furniture was was gone in a fire um, but we regularly as children we regularly had water in the house up to two foot and uh oh my they, gosh so you learned how to swim at an early age <laughs> <laughs> but also how to not react when uh-huh. disaster hit because they didn't react they just dealt yes. with it that's a and beautiful maybe, gift, though. I know. I know. Amazing. I am so grateful for that gift. And what was interesting, as a teenager, thinking that this was quite dull, and I definitely didn't want that, uh-huh. because I was looking for the passion. Uh-huh. You know, and growing up a, a raving extrovert in a very introvert household, uh-huh. and very gregarious with people who are very calm, and very last minute and hectic with people who are very planned and ordered. You know, I really felt a little bit like an alien. So I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't learn the skills that they were trying to teach me just through everyday love. Uh-huh. And maybe it's similar to your story. I don't know if you've shared your story with your audience before. Um, I've shared a little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I shared that I had a great upbringing. My parents came from alcoholic, uh, you know, alcoholic parents and they had a lot of chaos um, in their homes growing up, even though they were very loving homes. Um, they were, you know, chaotic from the alcoholism. But my parents said, you know, made a conscious waking up to real love, a uh, conscious choice to create something different for their marriage and their family. Yeah. And that's wonderful. It's a gift, isn't it? Just to have yeah. that. Yes. That anchor. It's like a really strong anchor. It was a um, very strong anchor. But what's curious, I think, for both of us is that we didn't learn the skills of loving because they were probably so different from us that yeah. somehow we didn't manage to learn what we needed to learn to love well ourselves, whether that was to choose well or whether that was 
the skills that could be adapted and adopted with a different personality. Right. So, t- nice. so tell, so tell me your what happened with you, um, because I know that you were divorced. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I married. Well, I married my childhood sweetheart. Uh-huh. Uh, we were married at twenty-one. Three days later, I realized what a terrible mistake I'd made. <gasps> Three days later. Wow. Yeah. But then I worked really, really hard to try to make it work because I believed in love. Yeah. And the first time I came across, um, I don't know if you know uh, M. Scott Peck, The Road yes. Less Travel. Yes, yes, yes. Now, you may say great book or you may say absolutely horrific. I remember reading the chapter on love where he concludes love is work. And I'm reading this in my 20s in the middle of a horrible marriage where I was really unhappy uh-huh. thinking this can't be this is awful and it shattered the I well it shattered something for me I'm not quite sure what but it I was so horrified by it that it stayed with me hmm. and niggled away and niggled away and niggled away and many 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 years later when I look back um I can see that I really was working very hard at that relationship. But what I was doing was working in all the wrong ways. Uh I know there are so many people who do this. So many people whose intentions are nothing but good. I remember finding, way after I I was divorced, I found a little note on my handheld computer, I think it was a Palm Pilot, which said, create beautiful marriage. It was on my to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was always on my to-do list because I never quite managed to achieve it. I was so going to say thought, check, uncheck, check, uncheck. <laughs> so, you know, our intentions can be so good. Yeah. We can be working in all the wrong ways because it's our nature. Our evolutionary biology programmed us to look for the faults, to look for what's not quite right. Mm-hmm. because that's what we did when we were looking for berries and we were looking at mushrooms and we were looking, well, as we were foraging, we would have to recognize the food that was going to sustain us and discard the food that was going to poison us. Right. And so our whole evolutionary bi- biological programming, it's in our DNA to look for what's wrong. I never even thought about that like that, Kathy. That's mm-hmm. really actually brilliant because I know a lot of people, like when they're hearing about other people's issues, you can, you know, you can negate and com- have compassion and say, oh, well, what about all of these wonderful things that you do? But when you do it for yourself, you're usually nitpicking your faults. And I, and I think that's true about our partners. It's like, oh, yeah, well, of course, you're taking out the trash. And of course, you're paying the bills. And of course, you're taking care of the kids, because that's just expected. But what about XYZ that you're not doing? Exactly, exactly. And in real love, and some couples do this. I don't know how, what the proportion is. I do have a vague recollection of a statistic, which was 20%. But I have tried to check this out with the Gottman Institute. And I haven't got that figure um, quite right, I don't think. Um, uh-huh. It's on my to-do list. But <laughs> there is a proportion of people who get this right and they do the opposite. Yeah. So if you're really looking for the science of love, so I, I stepped out of, when once my marriage was over, I, 
I started dating again. And as each relationship failed, <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, there was something wrong with him, and there was something wrong with him, and there was something wrong with him. And then I was at a barbecue with some friends and uh, and I was I used to go to the same event every year it was a swimming barbecue brilliant loved it uh-huh. and uh, one of my friends turned to me after I described the latest relationship disasters of the year and he said well Kath there's only one common denominator in all your relationship failures I thought you're right it's me <laughs> and you know, it really was true that that's, that's a very hard thing to accept, isn't it? Because yes, the fairy tale says you haven't met the one, which is a great get out clause. So we don't have to take responsibility at all. Right. Right. Simply haven't met the one. Right. So it's not our fault. Of course, it's not going to work until you meet the one. The one is a myth. Sadly. Well, well the, the one is really yourself. Well, yes. Yes. You have to be the one. You have to be the one. Yeah. And that's an act of creation. And that's where what I do is slightly different from M. Scott Peck, because I think we're either faced with this, we're either faced with the myth and we can believe the myth and the fairy tale and love is fated. It will land on you if you're lucky enough. Or we kind of sigh and take this deep breath and go, okay, I just got to accept love is work and it's going to be hard. options are particularly appealing one because it doesn't work the other because hard work also doesn't quite feel right no because work has a negative connotation I mean when I when I think of love is work I think love takes time and effort and energy anything that's worthwhile takes time and effort and energy yeah and you love putting the energy into the things that are worth it yeah. And so actually, when we use relationship skills well, we love it. Right. It's not hard work. Right. It's skill. Yes. And sometimes cranking up the gears can take a little bit of a, oh, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the skillful thing. I'm, and quickly, as soon as you start working in that opposite spirit, things change. So what did you change about yourself in order to create a better relationship with your current marriage? Wow, I mean, everything, really. I was a master at the relationship killers. Mm -hmm. I really was, and certainly not through choice, simply because I was working hard to Mm -hmm. find out all the problems in our relationship and to fix them, Uh which really meant to fix him. Uh because I was working so hard so it couldn't be my fault (laughs) it must be him Uh so I was working in completely the opposite direction so there are four relationship killers the first is criticism which doesn't just say huh we've got a problem what can we do about it it says "Mm, you're the problem I've kind of figured it all out and it's you and you just need to change right I'm better than you yeah well that's yeah Yeah. so that's criticism gone on one level higher okay once you so so criticism actually there's in one criticism is very very natural and very very understandable why do we criticize because we want things to change for the better exactly so we're not doing something horrible we're simply asking unskillfully for a positive change right and it's really a cry for connection 
Mm-hmm. So if you're on the receiving end of criticism, that's great news. Because if you can remember, ah, oh, they're criticizing, what does that mean? Uh, that means they're trying to connect with me. Huh, that's quite nice. That's a compliment. Okay. <laughs> you can turn reframe, it reframe. Exactly. Reframe it. Yeah. Whenever someone's criticizing you, they're just trying to connect unskillfully. So yeah, they need to learn some skills and that will be great. Uh-huh. But in, the, in lieu of them not learning those skills yet, you can change your perception. So rather than saying, hey, hold on a minute, you're just as bad or no, I didn't do that or whatever it is, you can say, huh, what do you need? Yeah. Or how can I make it better? Yeah. What just a that. Brilliant. What a brilliant question to ask. As opposed to, you know, forget it, you're wrong, you're, you know, your perception is wrong, you're, you're too sensitive. I mean, I'm hearing all of these old messages that I was receiving. Yeah, yeah. And too sensitive is an interesting one. What that really means is that they feel un- ill-equipped to help, ill-equipped to meet your needs, and that can be a devastating thing for someone to feel that the person they love, they can't meet their needs. It can't be my fault. I'm trying. It must be their fault. There must be something wrong with them. They must be oversensitive. They have to deal with themselves. I don't have the resources. And sometimes that can come from overwork. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's working really, really, really hard, then it's very difficult to have those added resources that you need to support someone else as well. But of course we've got got to make that decision in our lives. Right. What are we going to put first? What's going to come first? Is it our relationship or is it everything else? Everything that's calling out for our attention. Because when we hear a cry for connection or attention and we know we can do it, you know, when you're in a job that you love, whatever it is, and you can do that, then it's so much easier to go there, isn't it? Yes. So much easier to give your attention there. But when you're faced with this sticky thing called love and another human being who doesn't think like you do, then you have to find another way. You have to put time aside. And research has shown that couples who spend at least five quality hours a week together ride out the storms of life. That seems like that seems like a lot. Well, it seems like a lot to you. There are some people I talk to who say, only five hours a week. <laughs> I spend that a day. My sister, in fact, is one. Really? Oh, my goodness. Maybe not five hours a day, but a huge, they spend a huge proportion of their time together. They go for walks every day. They have conversations every day. Wow. They really prioritize the time they spend together. Um, and they're a lovely couple. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And they're very much more like my parents. So she learned from mum and dad. Uh-huh. And she emulated that. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> so really, you- I ended up going out into the wilderness with this recognition that I was the common denominator and trying to figure it out and reading everything I could read and studying the science. And I did a master's degree and my... Uh, my dissertation, my thesis, whatever it was, was um, barriers to effective communication. So Uh I came up with wonderful theories and ideas, some of which actually I do use now, but none of it was getting me closer to really knowing how to love. Uh There were many, many, many missing pieces. 
And really the Gottmans were the first um, people who really helped me to understand what those pieces were. So I don't know if you've come across the Gottmans. Yes, yes, they're brilliant, yes. Absolutely brilliant. Everything I do now has to go through what I call the Gottman test. It's like the litmus test. Uh If you want to check whether it's valid, how will this stand up to what the Gottmans say? Uh If it stands that test, then I'll use it in my practice. Because the only work I do with individuals and couples is evidence-based. Now, I've tried most things out in my own life as well. So it's evidence and experience, but I'm not (laughs) kind of sticking my finger in the air and checking where the wind goes and going my best hunch, which a lot of people do because, you know, maybe they have found a way that works for them. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're really happy to share that. And I'm sure that works for a good proportion of the people they speak to. But unless you're really working from science and grounded evidence, you can't really offer something that's going to work for everyone. And that's why you and I were not able to learn from our parents' good example. Mm-hmm. because they were just different people. And unless you can analyze what exactly were they doing, then how do you emulate that for yourself without becoming someone you're not? Right. Well, that, that's one of the primary questions that I have for people is, mm. uh, and I, it was one of the books that I read while I was in school getting my master's degree. It was, I don't even remember who it was by or which book it was, but I remember the basis of the book was, is whatever you're doing helping the relationship or hurting the relationship? Because that speaks to everyone. And that's like, you know, your answer to the question of, you know, criticizing and saying, hmm, what can I do to help? How can I, how can I help this situation? It boils down to that, you know, and that's why I love, you know, when I was listening to your videos, that yes question mm. or the yes answer. Yeah. And the skill. So what's interesting about that branch, I often use that analogy, your face, almost in every moment, aren't you, with that choice? You can branch the more loving way or the less loving way. Right. But if you don't understand what relationship skills are, how do you know whether you're being loving or not? When you're being lovingly trying to correct somebody... I'm sure no, nobody listening has ever done that. <laughs> when you are lovingly trying to correct somebody, uh-huh. it's very easy to believe that you're doing the loving thing. Uh-huh. But the research shows the loving thing is just to put on rose-tinted glasses. <laughs> Which seems kind of odd because we believe in truth, don't we? I was going to say, every, I can just hear lots of people saying, that's not reality. No, and it's not. But what is reality? <clears throat> Do any of us live in a real world? Our reality is based on our perceptions. Yeah, exactly. We create this world. We yeah. create everything about our world. How we filter it. Going back to the fairy tales, going back to what Hollywood and Bollywood tell us about love being fated. All of our perceptions are filtered through what we've heard and what we've believed. Uh So we have to decide, how are we going to decide what to believe? Now, I go to science because hundredth of a second interactions over four decades, I'm saying that can't be wrong. I have great faith that that's right. And what I've done with that faith is to try it out in my own relationship. 
And in fact, I've boiled down what I've discovered from the Gottmans, from Sue Johnson. I don't know if you've come across um, her work. I'm familiar, but I don't know at all. Okay, so her basic um, idea is that all the time we're asking one question. The question is, are you there for me? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's the question that has the yes answer. Yeah, yeah exactly. So she asks, are you there for me? And all of our interactions, whether you're asking someone to take the bins out or whatever it is, you're, you're saying, are you there for me? Um, and what she did, which was brilliant, is she put, um, put people into fMRI scanners and looked at what was happening in their brain uh-huh. when they were in an insecure relationship. And to boil a long story short, people's, um, the center of the brain that um, is firing off when a baby is crying for its mother is the same part of the brain that fires off when somebody feels under threat and they don't have someone who's there for them. Is that the amygdala? I forget. Yeah. So it's, yeah. You're okay. talking about, um, yeah, you're talking about the oldest part of the brain. Right. We are wired for connection. Mm-hmm. We need to have someone in our lives who's there for us. Starting, with the, umbilic- starting with the umbilical cord. Exactly. You start with the umbilical cord. And when you pass 18 or 21 or whatever threshold it is, age, you don't suddenly stop needing that. Yeah. We need someone to be there for us. Yes. And what we have to do as adults is create the conditions where we do have someone who's there for us in the same way that we have to be there for them and in the same way that we're there for our own children if we have them. I was going to say, I, um, this is, <clears throat> I think this is the big issue for a lot of people because their partners may be physically mm-hmm. present for them, but not emotionally or intellectually or psychologically or spiritually present for them. And so there is still that disconnect. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some brilliant, very, very simple skills that you can teach couples that can enable people to really be there for each other. So that's what I do. Uh Uh, Can you give us an example yeah, I mean, really, I can describe my model to you if that would be of interest. Sure. I basically, I, it's very cheesy. You'll love it because it's so memorable. No, um, no, I love it. I have the picture. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> so I talk about relationships. Yeah. So we have a ship. We have a beautiful, tall sailing ship. It's a tall ship. It's got beautiful sails. It's built to you know, sail the seven seas. It's very romantic. But really what's great about this ship is that it's got three basic parts. Mm-hmm. You've got the hull, you've got the sails, and you've got the navigation system. Mm-hmm. So what is it, if we want to sail the stormy seas of life with someone, what do we really need? What's going to be the thing that keeps us afloat? Stability. <laughs> the stability in your relationship is your friendship. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's an old cliche, isn't it? People say, what's the most important thing in love? Oh, it's, it's being good friends. It's having a good friendship. It's true. But of course, if we've only got a friendship, then it is just a friendship. 
And right. we don't have sales. We're not going to go anywhere. Right. I have friends that can take care of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can, you can have friendship that doesn't have this big vision, doesn't have um, a purpose. Yeah. Now, that's the piece that most people don't know. Most people don't, have never been told that we need a vision for our relationships. Mm-hmm. So that's like climbing up the rigging, up to the crow's nest, and looking out and seeing, just catching a glimpse of your happily ever island. Mm-hmm. And whether that's your happily ever island, it may be different from your partner's happily ever island. There may be many islands. You may be wanting to go to an archipelago. Do you know, you may <laughs> there, it's seeing where you want to go. Right. And sometimes that's about going to one place together. And sometimes it can be about allowing each other to have very different dreams and to live very different dreams. Mm-hmm. A marriage is an awfully long time and it's getting longer and longer and longer if you stay, if you go, you know, if you stay yeah. in it. Right, so right. So this wonderful opportunity to create and to journey and to voyage. So really, if we're thinking about creating these tall ships together. What we are is explorers. We're creators. Mm-hmm. We're, um, we are the curious. Yes. And if we can remain curious, then that solves a huge number of problems in relationships. Yeah, that you're, that you're just um, a witness to, the pers- to your partner's process, you know, mm-hmm. that, you're, that you're on the ship together and your partner is looking out one direction and you're looking out the other direction. And the one person says, Hey, honey, come over here. See this view. And the, Oh, wow. That's great. Thanks for sharing. And then, you know, so it's this constant navigational system where you ebb and flow between each other's visions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And only one couple who I've worked with has ever said to me, yeah, we have a vision for our relationship. Wow, that's incredible. Six years, I've only ever had one couple say they had a vision for their relationship. That's kind of sad. Yeah, but we don't know. Nobody knows, right? You are teaching it. Yes, you are teaching this. (laughs) There are a few people teaching it. Of course, the governments teach it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, of course. So, So that piece, that purpose piece, Mm-hmm. is is up in the up in the crow's nest looking out uh-huh. then creating habits creating culture creating rituals within your daily life mm-hmm. that are like the ship's wheel and help you navigate towards those happily ever islands and away from the icebergs now, i think i mentioned earlier the relationship killers yes so you've got four icebergs there's criticism the natural response to criticism, of course, is defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Then you've got contempt, mm-hmm. which is what happens when you really can't get through. You can't, yeah. you know, you're trying to change something for the better. You get a defensive response. What do you do? That, I think that's the F off stage. Except, yeah. And then you look. Um, sorry for the pause there. It's Okay. I should have gone on to airplane, shouldn't I? (laughs) So, so yes, you can't get through. So you believe that nothing's ever going to change. And if nothing's going to change, and I'm trying my very best, then I end up thinking, 
my partner's just not good enough. My partner's not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. And you start to look down on your partner. So when you're looked down on, your, your blood's, your, you know, your, kind of your, your heart rate automatically rises. And once it's risen above 100, uh, 95 to 100 beats per minute, you're physiologically unable to empathize with that person. Mm-hmm. And if you're unable to empathize, you're unable to solve problems. And what do you do when you're feeling like that? What do you do when you're flooded with this panic and this emotion? And you probably don't even know you're flooded. Yeah. Because you yeah. don't see it on the skin. Yeah, you yeah. just shut down. Exactly, you shut yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the fourth of the icebergs. You've got contempt, which is looking down on your partner, and the fourth one, which is emotional disengagement. Right. The Gottman call that um, stonewalling. Um, so those are your four icebergs. And what happens is each one of those, it's like a deadly domino effect. Right. You know, the first one impacts the second one, impacts the third, impacts the fourth, and then your relationship is kind of effectively over. Yeah, you know. I, I remember. I remember the th- the last therapist that we went to. We had gone to two different occasions for long periods of time. Years later, and um, and she said, "Wow, John, this is the first time I've seen you where you have no hope." Yeah, yeah. And I was That's like, "You're different. right. Yeah. You're right. I have no hope." Yeah, yeah. Nothing's going to change now. I've done everything. Yeah, nothing's going to change. Yeah, and it's so it's crushed. It's very sad. I mean, yeah, I've cried for years. The most painful place to be. Uh And once you've got to that point, it can be very difficult to turn back the tide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's not impossible. I've worked with couples living in separate houses who've come back together. Mm -hmm. And they've got closer and more passionate even after they were literally on the verge of divorce. I, I agree that anything is possible because it's all based on a choice. It's ba- that's why I love your work about creating. It's like what you create, what do you want? But in order to create a relationship, an intimate partnership, both people have to be creating together. Yeah. Yeah. One person can't do all the creating and the other person is just sitting on the sidelines. Well, you know, it's like, like if you're building a ship and one half of the ship is being built beautifully yeah. and the other half, then what? Does it float? No, it just spins in circles. Yeah. You're going to get leaks. You're going to, yeah, it's not going to float. Yeah. So you do have to both be involved. And it's one of the very few gender findings in the research is that men who are really good at this stuff create wonderful relationships. Mm. Women who are really good at this stuff may or may not create a beautiful relationship. Now, part of that is about men's willingness and their ability to accept influence from their partners, from their female partners. Mm-hmm. So this does go across all relationships. Um, but if it's a male-female partnership, the man who is willing to accept influence, who is willing to say, okay, I can drop my thing that I really want and go with your thing. If he's willing to do that on a regular basis, then their relationship is likely to be a lot happier. And that takes huge courage. And it takes a move, a shift away from told, told they should be like, they should be strong, they should be resolute, they should stand their ground. Uh-huh. But of course, the research actually suggests the opposite. A woman who stands her ground and says, 
I really want this. This is really important to me. Uh-huh. We'll be happier in her relationship in the long run, as will he, than a woman who gives in and gives in and gives in. Do you, do you think, because the, the internet wobbled a little bit when you were talking about the man doing it, but I was just thinking, is it, is it about, I, I don't think it should ever be about sacrificing yourself. I think it should be about trying to meet each other's needs and support each other in a way that both of you can flourish to the best of your ability. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are, there is, there are distinctions. So there's um, a distinction between your, your core essence and who you are at your very center and, and the things you cannot ever give up uh-huh. and all the peripheral things and the things you could give up. So recognizing that is really, really important too, because you may hear people say that you should never compromise in a relationship. Uh-huh. The research says the opposite. The research says you have to skillfully compromise. Yeah. The thing you can't compromise on is the thing that is fundamental to who you are. Mm-hmm. But of course, if you've got two people with very, very strong cause and they're clashing over something, then what do you do? Can, can, you, I, give, can you give an example of what would something of my core that I could never give up? Like, what could that be? Give me a couple well, of examples. A core value may be equality. Okay. Or freedom. Okay. Or respect. Okay. Or even happiness or love. So I've seen this when I've worked with people where, um, where they keep coming up against the same issue over and over again. And it can be a, tri- a seemingly trivial thing. So one lovely example, actually, that um, I worked with a couple who were just about to get married. And, uh, and they said they couldn't really think of very many things that were causing them any, any problems. But mm-hmm. there was just this one thing. And it was uh, when they were in the supermarket together, he would always mess about with their son. And it would drive her crazy. Mm-hmm. And every time this happened, she would challenge him and she would ask him to stop. And he just wouldn't. And so I teach a technique Um, which is really very simple. And all you do is you turn to each other and you say, what's important to you about that? With a very open mind, we are the curious. So you like, oh, that's interesting. What's Uh important to you about that? Uh That's a brilliant question. Yeah. So what's important to you about that? Well, I don't feel uh, like he should be messing around. He's our son. He should be, you know, behaving himself. Um, What's important to you about that? Well, it's important to me to be heard. What's important to you about that? Well, it's all about respect, isn't it? And so you hit a real value. Mm -hmm. And she should never be asked to shift that. You know, Mm -hmm. that's core. That's fundamental. She needs respect. Right. So then you turn to him and you say, okay, so what's important to you about carrying on messing around with your son when she really really so much fun (laughs) well it's so much fun and what's important to you about that well I don't often have fun with my son why is that because he ignores me at home he never touches me at home he doesn't give me hugs anymore Uh and so you you find that it all boils down to love and connection and that desire to be close to his son yeah so now you imagine going supermarket shopping 
and they're messing around in the aisles. What's the dynamic going to be now? Oh, yeah, you're looking at them with so much love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful to be able to shift your perspective on, you know, how does love view this? And it comes through some very, very simple skills. Mm -hmm. And I think that is where making that loving choice needs to be about making a loving and skillful choice. Mm -hmm. So don't lovingly try and fix him. Right. Lovingly try and get curious, understand, figure out what's really going on. Because at the end of the day, they are never really going to agree that it's okay for her to hassle him or for him to be messing around in the supermarket. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that they they can do something and not agree with each other. But if they understand why, then there's no sting in it. Right. No animosity in it. There's no judgment in it anymore. Right. It's really really accepting and allowing people without the judgment. And it's allowing difference. Uh Uh-huh. Because difference is actually what has created this incredible world. And, you know, our species thrives right. on difference. Right. You know, that's- we need diversity. And that's what makes the world such a wonderful, you know, rich tapestry. Dynamic. So we, yeah. And we need to be able to accept that in each other, uh-huh. even when it grates a bit. Or- <laughs> I was going to say, even when it drives me crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So it is about putting on those rose-tinted glasses and or rose-coloured spectacles, as we would say here. And uh, and some of that can be simple things like just keeping a list of all the wonderful things mm-hmm. and choosing to refocus each time on the wonderful thing. Right. About- the gratitude, the appreciation, the admiration. Yeah. I mean, all of those and, things. Yeah. And those are part of the friendship, actually. So if you look at the friendship, the things that keep it afloat are really stepping into each other's world, really understanding each other, responding to each other, being grateful, being appreciative, spending all that time together, uh-huh. learning each other's love language. So Gary Chapman, you, you will have come across yes. the, the five beautiful yeah. stuff. I yeah. actually think there are six, and I call them um, the uh, I call them currency. Right. I love currency because we're, we're going to see with our ch- treasure chests. Can you fill your partner's treasure chest? Mm-hmm. So well, I, I think a lot of times people give in the way that they want to receive rather than giving in the way that their partner wants to receive. Exactly. We have a lot of currency you know, in our own currency, don't we? We walk around with you know, fists full of sterling in my case, (laughs) or dollars or whatever it is. Now I try and give you sterling and say, oh, look, you can have all of this because I think the world of you, look at this. And you're going, okay, you put it in a bag, you put it on your shelf. Maybe when I go to the the UK, I can use that. (laughs) You don't care how much is in the bag. I mean, we've probably all got that bag of loose change from all over the world, haven't we? It doesn't matter what's in it we can't use it right we have to exchange our coinage we have to exchange our currency for our partner's currency and start filling their treasure chest with a currency that works in their world well and that and I think that's you know when you uh, because that was one one struggle that I had I would ask my partner hey I really appreciate when you do this when you do that 
and he would just choose not to. And, mm. and these weren't big things. These yeah. weren't big things. They were little, little things that would have taken hardly any effort on his part. But the fact that he would just make no effort to do yeah. something that was so meaningful for me. I mean, yeah. that, that was all of those pieces of, you know, that part of the friendship. It's like, you're not even really honoring our friendship because yeah. you're not even really being that kind to me, yeah. you know? So that's why I love those, you know, five examples of the kindness times 20 things a day. What do you call them? The hundred precious things. The happy hundred. Yeah. The happy hundred. <laughs> A hundred, yeah, this is again research has watching happy couples and how they interact. They do a hundred positive things, a hundred positive interactions every single day. That's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And if you start to think about what a positive interaction is, it's not that hard. Right. So you smile at each other. Mm hmm you maybe give each other a touch or a squeeze or a hug or a kiss. Mm -hmm. You make each other a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. You just pick up something that somebody dropped on the floor. You, you know, there there are a thousand things. You play footsie under the table. Mm -hmm. Just you ask about your partner's day. You ask what's going to happen. You wish them good luck. You, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of ways that you can just do something positive even that raise of the eyebrow that says, oh, I think you're looking hot today. <laughs> Whatever it is, you can, you know, you can do those positive things. And if you're both on board and you both understand the language and you both understand what makes a relationship work, yeah. then it's not that hard and it's yeah. fun and it can be creative. And so I imagine that you and your um, current husband have a lot of those things that you do for each other all the time. We do. We do. We're not perfect either. No, nobody is. But it's that effort. It's that intention. It's that, you know, taking the time and energy to do those little things that make your partner know that you are there for them. Yeah. Yeah. I have a wonderful man. I, I won't tell you our, our love story because it's a long one. Um, but it's interesting. So my message has always been love um, isn't fated, it's created. Uh-huh. But when I start to talk about how we met and all of the crazy coincidences that there were when we met and when we started to talk about each other's lives and all the things that we were passionate about, then it does kind of sound like it was fated. fated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, that's not my message. <laughs> maybe maybe the meeting maybe the meeting is fated, but then what happens afterwards is what's created. I think when you get creative and I think when you are aligned with yourself, uh-huh. it really does feel like it's fated. And I think uh-huh. maybe that's where the fairy tales have come from in the first place. Mm -hmm. they've come from that magic that you can create we're all creators we're all magicians yeah and so it feels like that but when you look at it when you boil it down when you pick it to pieces you recognize oh it's just science (laughs) it's just a hundred nice little things it's just um you know being responsive 
and it's managing your emotions. And yeah. of course, this is the one that a lot of people find incredibly hard. Yes. How do we resolve those problems? How do we deal with it when we're feeling hurt? What do we do when it feels like um, things have broken? Mm-hmm. And the research says that you can, you can, well, I'll, I'll tell you what the emotions are in my model. So the emotions are the sales. Because emotion is the wind. Oh, the sails are how we manage emotions because the wind is the um, kind of emotion, isn't it? The wind, the emotion is the wind in the sails of our relationship. If we don't have emotion, then it is just that. It's just a friendship. Right. So if we don't have sails, our boats are just still in the water. If we want to go somewhere, we have to harness the wind of emotion. But we have to know which wind to harness. Right. When there's a, a storm, what do you do with the sails? I don't know. I'm not a sailor, but I would imagine put them down. <laughs> yeah, you, you draw them in. Yeah. So you don't have your sails hanging out. You don't catch every wind. Uh-huh. And so often we think we need to express our feelings. We need to let it all out. But there are times when you actually don't let it all out. Just let that wind of emotion blow on by. Right. Wait maybe for just, Maybe just process internally. Catch the fair wind. Uh And as you're catching those fair winds, you get more fair winds. You find yourself sailing in happier waters. Uh And the stormy waters become gradually, slowly, slowly become a thing of the past. And of course, there will be times when there are stormy waters. And what research has seen is that couples who even where their relationship breaks in some way, if they can repair it, if they know how to repair it, if they've got a strong enough friendship to mm-hmm. be able to forgive someone's apology, then you can mend the sails. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what the sailors always did. If you've got a sound deck, if your deck is strong, you can sit there together, you can work through, okay, that was a bit rubbish, wasn't it? What can <laughs> we do to fix this? You know, what can right. we do to get things back right. in order? What can we do so that this sail is now repaired? We can hoist the sail again. You know, a rift, an argument does not have to be a devastating experience in relationship. Right. In fact, what the Gottmans found when they were looking at the happiest couples and the most miserable is that an untrained eye finds it very difficult to tell the difference between an argument that is toxic and an argument that is not toxic. Because mm-hmm. you can have very healthy arguments that are quite pan- passionate, but don't cause the end of a relationship. Because right. people repair, and because they're not, um, they're not using the, the icebergs. They're not right. crushing the icebergs. Yeah, I, I, think that, I think that always comes back to we're on the same team, we're on the same crew, trying Absolutely. to sail in the same direction. Yeah. Right. And so how can I be here for you <clears throat> to help you navigate your own emotional, you know, internal emotional state? I'm still steering the ship, honey. It's okay. Do what you need to do. <laughs> and that's right, because we need each other most when we're least able to be yeah. there for the other. Yeah. Like I got this. You you go deal with your stuff. I've got this right now. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, uh, one of the things I do is draw portraits for couples. 
this is what I want to talk to you about. (laughs) (laughs) This was the first question I wanted to ask you what you're about to talk about. This is a gift that you have. When I saw the video of you doing it and talking about it, I got teary eyed. I mean, it really, really touched me. So please tell our listeners what you do, because it's a beautiful, beautiful gift that you're sharing with your clients and the the world. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I get people to talk about the vision they have for their own lives uh-huh. or their relationships. Uh-huh. Quite often we talk about everything. So what, what's your vision for your profession, your, your career, your new business, mm-hmm. whatever it is. I get people to really see their vision clearly and their dreams, the dreams they've squashed down, the things they kind of forgot they wanted to do or they really couldn't do. They couldn't really be themselves. If they, so, so I've got an example of, of someone I'm thinking of right now who, who really was told you shouldn't stand up and speak mm. you know, because you're being a bit too big for your boots. And someone else who, um, a couple who were sitting on my sofa and uh, they started to talk about their dreams and he kept mentioning the word leadership and she was looking at him and she'd never heard him say that before. She'd never heard that he wanted wow. to lead in any way. Wow. Such a lovely, solid, modest man. And of course, he'd never mentioned to his wife that he had these ideas, which he felt weren't quite, you know, you shouldn't really talk about stuff like that, should you? Um, and what was interesting, so, so I took their words, and it's quite hard to describe on an audio, but I took their words, and instead of sketching them into the shadows of their face, um, I drew the words into the shadows and into the lines. So, so the whole picture is drawn in their words, so you imagine you've got your vision and it's looking back at you through your own eyes. Now what are you going to do? Oh, shit, I think I need to follow my vision. <laughs> yeah, it's even easier than that because our faces are the strongest indicator of our identity, aren't they? Uh-huh. So if we're looking at our face, and our face is telling us a story, telling us things. I'm actually looking at it right now as we're talking. My, my, <laughs> I have a portrait right ahead of my, right in front of my computer screen. And um, that face is telling you who you are, who you really are, who you want yeah. to be. You know, yeah. we iterate ourselves. We create ourselves yes. through the stories we tell ourselves, through the future to- stories we tell ourselves. If we create ourselves in the vision that we want then somehow we would do almost anything won't we to to maintain our sense of our identity Mm -hmm. so as soon as you are able to shift that identity to a better identity your unconscious mind goes to work goes overtime to make that reality to make that identity correspond to how you are operating in the world how you are being in the world and so this happened to me. So this happens to oh, within about three months of um, them receiving that portrait of him with leadership into the eyebrows. And she had a whole load of amazing stuff in her life as well. Um, he, um, he was actually asked to act up to start with. And within the year, he'd had at least three promotions. Wow. 
promotion after promotion after promotion. And he put it down to seeing the word leadership on his study wall, looking at him. Wow. I mean, for, for our listeners, it's, it's basically like those holograms that you see of a person and they have like different pictures within, you know, so when you look up close, you see the details, but then when you look from far away, it's just the, the picture of the person. So when I saw this, you know, when I was looking for your information, Kathy, when I saw yours, I was like, oh, that's her. Wow, that's amazing. She did that. <laughs> and then I saw, you know, a couple examples. And then when I looked closely, I was like, oh, my gosh, look at all the, you know, I'm turning my head while I'm talking. Uh, look at all those words and all the, Im- you know, the images within the image. It's really incredible. It's really incredible. I just kept thinking, how does she do that? How does she do that? How does she do that? It's well, it's quite a powerful thing, actually. You bring me back to my story. And I was in a really angry place when I drew that portrait of myself that, uh-huh. that you had seen. Um, I actually draw lots of them. I've got a whole book full of them in my drawer here. <laughs> I used to. I, I used it as a diary, so that's where it all began, but that's another long story. Um, but I regularly draw pictures of my face uh-huh. with my wishes, with my dreams, with my vision. And that can be a daily vision, and it can be a monthly vision, it can be a yearly vision. The one that I, um, the one that I have online is one that I drew when I was feeling really, really upset. And I could not shift it. Well, I wouldn't shift it. Whatever it was, I knew exactly what to do. I had written the 12 relationship skills into a lovely book that I was using for couples. And I didn't want to use it. Yeah. I did not want to use those skills. I'd rather be angry right now. I'd rather be angry. Isn't that funny? Uh-huh. And I didn't really know what to do with myself. So I went to my studio and I just started drawing. And I wrote into my hair, all the curls in my hair, uh-huh. All the love I wanted to feel and all the gratitude and the wife I wanted to be and the mother I wanted to be and everything that I wanted in my life. And if I won't even, I shouldn't even suggest this, but if you look closely at my portrait, you can actually see the words. (laughs) It's very personal, um, but it's out there in in the world for all to see. Um, And something shifted. I cried my way. I sobbed my way through that portrait. Literally, I would imagine so. Yes, I would imagine so. And there was this woman smiling back at me. And she was a loving wife. And a happy, successful, joyful person. Mm. And when I next spoke to my husband, it was like suddenly I could be open. I could be vulnerable. And I cried. And I told him how upset I was and how angry I had been. Mm-hmm. But I, of course, did it skillfully. Mm-hmm. So he didn't feel blamed in any way. Mm-hmm. It was really, and, and that, I guess that's the message, isn't it, at the end of the day? All the anger we feel is our stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not actually what someone else has done or not done. Mm-hmm. It's our stuff. Mm-hmm. And if we can be vulnerable and really open and just, sometimes cry about how sad and lonely we feel. Yeah. Then everybody has been there. Everybody's felt that. And it gives somebody the opportunity to really come close, to put their arm around you. 
to say, I'm sorry if they need to, or just I'm here for you. Yeah. I don't remember what my husband said. If anything, I just remember he put his arm around me. And for the first time in our marriage, I knew that he was there for me. Because I think unless we are willing to talk about those horrible feelings, those angry places, then we never really know whether they're there for us. Right. We think if we put this happy face on our marriage, then our partner will be there for us or we can be there for them and we can, we can, we can live a happy marriage. But unless you're willing to go to the darker side in a way, then we never really know if they see us. That's if the we're thing. wearing a mask. Right. You know, that's why I don't say be positive when you're not positive. No. I say be real, be authentic. Be authentic mm-hmm. and be willing to be vulnerable. Right. And this is a massive distinction and a really, really important one is the difference between expressing how you, f- how you think you feel and expressing how you really feel. Right. So we very quickly, if things are not going well in a relationship and somebody does something, we say, you idiot, or something worse. And within a split second, it's gone from the injury we feel, the pain we feel at whatever it was, it's gone into an interpretation in our head. And that Mm -hmm. interpretation is, you're the idiot. Mm -hmm. That's not how you feel. That's what you think. Right. And that's the thing not to say. Right. So what you say is, ouch, or my neck feels sore. I've got a pain on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I've got a knot in my stomach. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you can talk about it with, mm-hmm. without ever blaming your partner. Right. You're and then they can draw close. Because that's the only way, really, they're ever going to be able to be there for you. Yeah, I'm, I, I think when you say, you know, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling lost, you know, that, that your partner, <laughs> your partner, if he's a good person, you know, would say, oh, my gosh, you know, what's going on? How can I be there for you? Exactly. Just to just to give you a hug and, and reconnect because that's what it is. It's like all of those things that disconnect us from ourselves and disconnect us from each other. It's like we want to get back to that place of connection and that even when you were talking about doing your drawing of yourself, it's just reconnecting with yourself and how cathartic and beautiful that is that you come back to this place of looking at yourself and seeing yourself, I say, through the eyes of the divine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it's the most beautiful, purest um, expression of our essence, you know, our heart and soul. And that's what I think that your portraits are. Thank you. Yeah. They are, they are powerful. They do help people to shift. Yeah. They help people to become who they want to be. Yeah. Um, I was working with a girl um, a couple of years ago now, and she hadn't dated in six years mm-hmm. at all. So she came to me for help with relationship skills. Uh-huh. And we worked together for a long time. 
And all of her relationships got better. Her relationship with her mother was transformed. Her relationship with her colleagues. All sorts of lovely things are happening in her life. And she still hasn't been on a date. Mm. And I think it was six months into our time together, I eventually got her to do a vision board. And then I asked her to talk me through the board and show she described this life, this her future self mm-hmm. in this lovely home with beautiful bookcases and all sorts of lovely things. And I drew this into a portrait of her. Mm-hmm. And it's around Christmas time and I gave it to her. Three days later, she went on her first date. Woo-hoo. So suddenly you're seeing yourself. Yeah. As you wish you were, as you want to be, as you know you are, really. Yeah. You know, we kind of ask our higher selves who we are. We dampen ourselves down. Yeah. We limit ourselves and we squash ourselves so much. You know, we tell ourselves what we can't do and we restrict ourselves, but actually there's so much more in us. Yeah. Than we know. So this comes out in the portrait and, and she kept dating until she fell in love and he fell in love with her. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's true too, about not only seeing yourself as your higher self, you know, the best version of yourself, of who you can be, of who you really are in your essence. Um, but it's important to be able to view your partner in the same light. Absolutely. Yeah to be really curious about who they are and what their vision is Mm -hmm. and to accept things that are difficult sometimes. Yeah. So there was a couple I was drawing a portrait for and she talks, in fact, it's probably the video that you saw where she talks about her vision to work in Africa. Mm. And she'd had that vision from very, very young. She was four when she first decided that that's really what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And she married a man who also had a, a big heart and um, was giving to, I think, charities in, in um, Nigeria, I think. And, uh, and so she found herself with four children and a dog walking through an English rural village thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> I should be in Africa. And his vision had been to bring up his children, a big family he wanted because he'd been a single child, um, Enid Blyton style. So he wanted to go for picnics and bike rides and have adventures Uh and do all these things. And she made a decision in that moment. She felt a peace about it. And she just said, okay, this is where I'm meant to be right now. Mm -hmm. And so they lived his dream. And it wasn't her dream. Mm -hmm. But as soon as the youngest child left college... He retired, they went to Africa mm-hmm. and they built schools and they brought up like dozens of street children. Well, through their, through their daughter, actually, she came and joined them and she helped to raise dozens of street children and help their families um, uh, start businesses. Incredible things came from that woman's vision. Yeah. And that couldn't have happened if she hadn't been also willing to live his vision. To share his vision. Yeah, together as a team. They were incredible in both places, in fact. You know, my childhood was made happy by them being in it. Yeah. You know, by them living their Enid Blyton style vision gave me a lot of the things that I love and remember about my childhood. Yeah. So 
very precious couple. And, and it shows that within the space of a long marriage, you can live every vision. You can live every dream. Yeah, that no one has to sacrifice anything. You can all have whatever you desire and however you create it, as long as the two of you are willing to support each other and, you know, be there for each other. Yeah. And sometimes it's not now. Sometimes my vision comes later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm... You didn't even say that then, you know. Right. You didn't even say that then. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's one of the things we have to do too is to say, okay, this might not be what I would have chosen right now. But I have faith within the time, you know, the many decades we're going to be together, uh-huh. that there will be time for my vision to flourish too. Yeah. You have so many beautiful insights, Kathy. Really, I mean, it's been a, like it was a joy watching all of your videos and reading about you. And this conversation is so beautiful. Um, and I know I'm trying to be conscious of your time. We have run a little bit over, but, um, <laughs> uh, but as long so, as we're not boring anyone. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. I think we've talked about so much good stuff. Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, the last question that I like to ask my guests is how do you define real love? Oh. We've said it so many times. It sounds a little dull, but I'm here for you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here for you. That's complete um, allowance and acceptance and compassion and understanding and non-judgment and, you know, just, yeah, I'm here for you. I love that. I'm here for you. It's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. You're a beautiful woman, a beautiful artist, a beautiful soul, heart and soul. Oh, thank you, Yeah. yeah. So how, pleasure. How, can, um, how can people get in touch with you? Well, I'm the relationship artist on Facebook. That's probably the easiest place to go. Uh-huh. And send me a message. So message me on Facebook at The Relationship Artist or find me, Kathy Garner, on, uh, on Facebook as well. And uh, in the new year, I'm starting a program called Time to Love Again. I love that name. <laughs> I love it. I think it's time. I think it's this, time. Yeah, and it's about the inner work as well as the, the outer work. Yeah. So this is when you've done all the swiping and it's not worked and it's grueling. Actually, there can be time for you before there's time for someone else. And Mm -hmm. it's about knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. And then it's about knowing that you're loved Mm -hmm. as a fundamental, as a foundation to loving someone else. Yeah. And then it's loving your life. And so often we're waiting for love to fill a gap. Right. But what I discovered when I set out in my decade between marriages 
was that I could create an incredible life. I watched the Bedouin fires at night. I was off into the desert with the Bedouin. I went and worked in remote rural villages in India with the most incredible women who just had so much belief and resilience and they were extraordinary and they taught me so much and I helped organize an astronomy festival in South Africa and and I ran a few conferences you know in between just to keep the keep the um the road or the the whatever on the tracks <laughs> the train. Yeah. I, I, I created this amazing life yeah. that I really loved. Yeah. And once you've done that, once you have your amazing life, and that can be a really simple, amazing life too. It doesn't need to be running around the world. Right. You may, it can be whatever your dream is, creating that life and then knowing who you want to share it with. And we do lots of amazing exercises around how to create that really crystal clear vision of who it is that you want to share this amazing life with and your your amazing self with Mm -hmm. and only then do we go out and we get the skills and we go out and magnetize yeah so we'll look at the relationship skills in real detail and then we look at how do you skillfully date Mm -hmm. because it's very easy to make mistakes right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's very easy to get it all wrong and I think I've probably done every mistake in the book so it's a really fun program I've worked with individuals on this over the last few years um, but this is a, a group program so we can work together over week by week by week just through these modules mm-hmm. and uh, and really get to a point where you feel not just great about dating but great about who you are and and your life so it's really getting a vision for your life and getting a vision for your relationship and then going out and magnetizing that, that relationship. I, while you were talking, I just thought um, when you say I'm there for you, when you're talking to your partner, you have to say it to yourself first. Mm, absolutely. I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because in bad marriages or in bad relationships, we abandon ourselves. Yes. And that is, that's kind of worse even. Yeah. Why did I do that to myself? That's the work that I'm, that I'm creating right now uh, is, you know, the ways that we are not there for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I mean, I think that's, that's a beautiful definition of real love. I'm there for you, for yourself and for your partner and for your children and for your friends and for your family. I'm there for you. So this has been such an honor and um, what a great conversation we've had. Thank you so Thank much you. For, for joining me. <laughs> oh, it's been such a pleasure. It's been I, could, such a pleasure. I could talk to you for hours. Me too. I love these conversations. <laughs> connection is what we're all about. Yes. We really yes. are wide for connection. Yes. And we can be there for each other. There's some research behind that too. When women have good girlfriends... They live longer. Yes. So have this conversation, not only with partners, but with with the girls who are going to be there for you. Yeah. And even when you meet people down the street. I mean, my kids make fun of me all the time. Oh, God, and mom, here she goes again. Can you please stop talking to strangers? Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
have you never heard of stranger danger mommy <laughs> no <laughs> i just don't go anywhere with strangers but i can talk to strangers <laughs> and I can, you don't take sweets from them <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> uh so um thank you so much you are more than welcome to come on i mean i could i could uh i can think of creating many many conversations with you so you're welcome you. to come on anytime. Um, so for for um, all of the listeners, I know that you will have gotten many insights and inspirations out of this con- uh, conversation. So please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share with all of your friends. Um, and if you would like, uh, if you would like help in in creating creating more real love in your life. Uh, you can f- find me on um, Facebook and Instagram at the awakening with Dawn. And, um, you know, as we were just talking about as, you know, this has been a theme for every guest that I have, even though we say it sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly, um, that being there for yourself, uh, the most important relationship that you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. And that's where it always starts to create more real love for you so that you can sail and spread that love wherever you, wherever you sail to. So thank you so much, Kathy, for being with me. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. All right, listeners, take care and wake up to more real love. See you next time. Bye.